Welcome to the Knowing God Podcast. The hope of this podcast is that it would help you to know the Word of God so that you may ultimately know God. I'm your host, Andrew Rutten. All right, let's wrap up our final episode for the week. We have been examining the reality of how humanity needs a king. We need a leader that can bring us back to God, a leader that can do what we can't do, a leader that can help us, a leader that can save us from sin and death. And what we've seen in the episodes on Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7 is that God promised a leader that would do just that, the Son of God who would come and would save his people. And there's another passage that shows the magnitude and majesty of what that actually looks like. What it means that an infinitely holy and glorious God would save sinful, rebellious people like us. Now, maybe you've heard lines like that for so long that the craziness of it has worn off for you. Maybe you've grown bored by the reality of a glorious God saving sinners. But think again for a moment. Think of the most glorious, holy, perfect, righteous being in all creation. In fact, the one being that stands outside of creation, the one being that doesn't worship or serve or need anything or anyone else, that glorious being has set his mind to save. And not save the righteous, the good, and the powerful. He set his mind to save sinners, sinners that rebelled from him. Sinners that said he isn't as good as he says he is. How is it that the one who is most glorious would also be the one who is most gracious? Could that even be true? Today's passage comes from Isaiah chapter 6, telling us that it is in fact the case. Look at the middle few verses of the story. This is Isaiah 6 verses 3 through 5. Speaking about these heavenly beings, it says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now Isaiah speaking here says, And I said, Woe is me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think this is a fascinating story. And it's fascinating because of the contrast between glory and grace. If you follow college football today, Nick Saban, who coaches at the University of Alabama, is seen to most as the greatest coach we have today. Some would even argue the greatest college football coach ever. There is a sense of greatness to him, even a sense of glory, you could say. No one can deny his influence on those players, his team, and honestly on all of college football over the last decade or two. But one of the reasons he is so great is because he is incredibly tough. There are high expectations. You need to excel. 
whether you're a coach or an assistant, a player, or, or I'm sure even a water boy or whoever does the laundry for them, greatness and glory is expected because of his greatness and glory. And that often comes with very little leniency or grace. This is also true of most business people who excel in the world. Greatness, glory, excellence, but very little grace. I think that idea might be some of our views when it comes to God. We might be able to grasp that he is big, great, glorious, and powerful, way up in the heavens, reigning and ruling over all. But we assume that must mean he is not very gracious. That he might have to put up with me, you know, because Jesus made him, but he doesn't really want to. Many of you might have a high view of God's glory, but a low view of his graciousness to you. Or, honestly, maybe you have the opposite view. Some may have a high view of ourselves, and therefore we limit the glory and majesty of God. We don't really think we need that much grace because we are not that bad. It's also why the idea of hell is so horrible to some people, because we don't believe people are bad enough to deserve it, or that God is glorious enough that sinning against him would deserve that punishment. It's why it seems foolish to some that we would hold to a biblical view of marriage between one man and one woman to be bound together for life. Some might think, who is God to tell people who they can and cannot love? I'm sure he's for anything that seems right to us. And down the line, you can go. We belittle God's glory and we elevate ourselves so that the idea of needing insurmountable, unfathomable grace from God seems ridiculous. But the scene from Isaiah 6, where Isaiah actually sees the presence of God in his throne room, corrects these views, corrects those misconceptions we all carry. Notice what is going on in this story. Isaiah receives a vision from the Lord of him in all his glory on his throne. And there are the heavenly beings singing, praising God, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. All the beings in heaven are restrained to only praising God, not because he's forcing them to, but because they are seeing his glory and will not glorify another in his presence. And when Isaiah sees this vision, did you notice what he immediately does? In verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now you could ask, why is he saying that? Well, he ends that phrase by saying, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says that he sees the king, the Lord Almighty, and he is immediately struck by his own sin and lowliness. He recognizes the grandeur of God and his glory, but also the gruesomeness of his own sin. If God is defined and displayed by his glory, Isaiah recognizes that apart from God, all left to himself, he is defined and displayed by his sin. 
And then God does what was probably unthinkable to Isaiah in that moment. God did not strike him dead because of his sin. God moved toward him in grace. Grace is the idea of receiving something that you don't deserve. It is unmerited favor or blessing or prosperity. Grace is failing a test and receiving an A. Grace is never showing up to work and getting a promotion. Grace is deserving one thing, but getting something far better that you never earned. Isaiah, in his sin, deserved death from this glorious God. That would have been right. But instead, Isaiah received grace. It goes on to say that Isaiah's guilt would be taken away and his sin would be atoned for. What we see a picture of in Isaiah 6 is that God uses his glory and power for grace and mercy. And this is what we all need. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one deserves to live in the beautiful, glorious presence of God left to ourselves. But God loves to give grace. And in this season of Advent, we long for grace to be made real, to be made personal. We need an Isaiah experience of seeing the greatness and glory of God and simultaneously experiencing the grace of God toward us. We need this leader that God would send for our sin to be both the glory of God and to offer the grace of God. We need the king that was promised who would be mighty and powerful as well as gracious and merciful. So today, I want to challenge you this way. We will only appreciate the coming of this type of king if we grasp in deeper ways the glory of God and our need of grace. So take some time today and reflect on that idea that we were talking about earlier, some of those misconceptions we have. Maybe ask yourself this question, where do I tend to limit my view of the glory of God or my need of grace? Where do I tend to limit my view of the glory of God or my need of grace? Which one of those do you tend to fall into in diminishing? And once you have a way that you tend to do that and you have that in your mind, I would encourage you to spend some time in prayer today, asking the Lord to help you have a more appropriate, healthy view of his glory and your need for grace. Because when he does that, you will begin to see the work of the gospel and this king that is coming in new and beautiful ways. Friends, may God bless you and keep you. May he give you favor, grace, and peace. Thank you.